the water and to multiply, causing all those powerful things to happen were not enough for them to follow him all the way. He needed to bring them into a place of transformation of their minds for them to realize to live is Christ and to die is gain. They had to really get to a point where they began to say for themselves, it is okay for me to count everything else as dung for the sake of Jesus Christ. It took a transformation. It took a metanoia for them to enter into the place where they could count Jesus as worthy above everything else. So it is really the power of metanoia, the power of transformation of mind that is more powerful than anything else. Because remember what we're talking about yesterday and this morning, the behavior of royalty, the behavior of royalty, the behavior of royalty. And I began to speak to you people about how many people have received the free gift of salvation, but not many people have opened the gift that they have received. The thing about salvation is the moment you stretch your hand to take it, it is yours. But to maximize what you have, you have to open it up. You have to search it. You have to ransack it. You have to allow the gift to transform your life. So what we have are a lot of Christians who have received the gift of salvation, but have not entered into the embodiment of salvation, have not entered into the office that salvation has bought for them, have not entered into the power and the real a reality of what the self-saved life looks like. So metanoia is powerful because you see a king that does not know who he is, is not different from a servant. And it becomes possible for the servants to rule over him until the day he comes into full realization, the power of metanoia, the power of revelation, the power of transformed minds is one of the greatest things in the kingdom. Because when man fell, what happened was that God came into the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Because God could not find Adam anymore on the plane of reasoning that God is on. He couldn't find him in the realm of God's understanding. He could not communicate with Adam. The geolocating system of God could not pinpoint Adam where Adam should be. So where Adam fell from was a realm of engagement, was a realm of spiritual visibility, was a realm of spiritual understanding, was a realm of spiritual conversation, and was a realm of godly authority. So Adam fell from that place, and that's why Adonai Elohim began to say, Adam, where are you? Because you are not where you are supposed to be. I can't find you. I can't feel you. I can't touch you. I can't see you. So what did Jesus come to do to restore us into the place where we are at power once again with the communication lines of God, where it becomes possible for us to meet God on the level of conversation, on the level of reasoning. You know how you meet some people that you speak to them because you are obligated to, but you meet some people that you sit with them because you enjoy the conversation. There is a flow of information and back and forth. Such people have greater access to the riches and wealth of your person than the ones you just have to talk to because, you know, let it not seem like you are a snob. So conversation and revelation is the key to access to God's heart. You need to know 
what God is saying. And so the Lord says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. I need you to get it. God is not being mean when he says that scripture. It is basically trying to tell you that the glory of God is in a concealed state. I need somebody to hear me. That the glory of God is in a concealed state state. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the honor of kings to search it out. Part of the reasons why the kingship of God is placed upon you is so that you may be a spiritual explorer. Not everybody can explore the spirit realm. Only kings can. Only kings can search out the things of God. Only kings can search out the heart of God. I need you to understand what I'm talking about. So he says, it is the glory of God to conceal the matter. Why? Because when you go back to Genesis, you then begin to realize that when men fell from this realm of the same knowledge and understanding that God has, something happened to them. Man lost his glory. And so man that was covered and shielded in the glory, the cardboard and the weight of God, because the Greek word for glory is the word doxa which means opinion. So it is the opinion of God to conceal a matter. So God's opinions are in a concealed state. It is not easy for you to know what God's mind is. That's why you must be careful of, of, about being a person that is quick to arrive at a conclusion of a matter simply by the physical evidence. You have to be able to step back a little bit to be able to understand why God will use a prostitute to save his kingdom of priests and kings. How do you invite a prostitute into the salvation plan of priesthood? You need to get it. So you cannot know God's opinion until you step into the realm of glory. Until you step into the realm of searching, until you step into the realm of exploring, and you need to understand what it means to have the glory of God upon you, to have the revelation of God's mind. There are some things you don't pray for anymore when you enter glory, because by reason of glory, certain things rest upon you. The glory of God is a force of attraction in the realm of the spirit. The glory of God is like a centripetal, centrifugal force. It pulls to itself and it spins things around itself. The glory of God is like the force that attracts and pulls the sun, the, the, the earth around the sun, and it pulls the, um, the, the, the moon around the earth. It is it is that like the force of revolution and the force of rotation, the glory of God becomes the center of everything. And so when glory rests upon you, there are some things you don't pray for. The things come to you, they are attracted to you because they recognize your high ranking order in the spirit realm and they know they can trust you. When the glory of God rests upon you, even animals favor you, the sea favors you. You see, all all the realms favor you. Why? Because they see the master and the opinion of the master upon you. Having knowledge about scriptures is not a lame thing to do. Scriptures are weighty. They are like cloaks upon you. So when you wear layers of revelation and you are walking through the realm of the spirit, you have authority because you have God's opinion. So God said, Adam, where are you? And you begin to realize that Adam had fallen because Adam said, when we heard your voice, we were afraid. When did that even begin? 
When did you start getting afraid when you see my phone call coming? When did you start getting afraid when you hear my voice coming? When did that happen? You used to glory in conversation. You used to glory in conversation. What has happened to you, Adam, that that which you used to long for has become that which you dread? When did that happen? When that which was your source and your well has become that which makes your heart beat and you become afraid? Adam, from whence thou hast fallen? From the realm of glory, from the realm of revelation. And so all the warfare that Adam began to have from there was a warfare that was born out of a farming of glory. I don't know if somebody can hear me. Warfare is born out of a farming of glory. So when you carry glory, there are some wars you don't fight. When you carry revelation, there are some things you don't deal with. Listen to me. I am not one of those Christians that there are some warfares that don't come to me. And it's not because I, I, I think I pray the most. No, it's not because I think I do the most. No, actually, there are just certain things that are set in my head about who I am in God. And those things did not come because, you know, of spiritual hype. It's not a hype. I had to spend years for my university days sitting on certain scriptures, muttering the scriptures, praying the scriptures for hours until I became the scripture until I became the flesh of certain verses in the Bible. And so until the Bible becomes flesh in you, don't stop saying it. Don't stop reading it. Don't stop looking for ways to assimilate it. This is the greatest warfare of your life. Satan is fighting daily to shield you from revelation, fighting daily to make you a man of flesh and blood. Fighting daily to make you a person that believes that everything that you are is what the world presents to you. Come on. Where are the people of the spirit? If you are here, I want you to just begin to type, amen. Yes, Lord. I get it, Lord. I receive your word. I am a woman of glory. I am a man of glory. I dwell in revelation. I appreciate the word of God. Come on, type it on that comment session. I want to know you're with me. This is the greatest warfare of your life that you contend for the glory of God, that you wrestle for the glory of God, that you fight for God's glory in your life. Are we still together? That you keep pressing for God's glory. That is why we don't refuse revelation. Put your hand on your heart today and say, my heart does not refuse revelation. My spirit does not refuse revelation. My soul does not refuse revelation. Put your hand on your head and say, my head does not reject glory. This head is made for glory. This head carries glory. This life carries glory. My house carries glory. My children carry glory. My ministry carries glory. My soul carries glory. My body carries glory. My business carries glory. My husband carries glory. Everything around me carries glory. My staff carries glory. Even my cars carry glory. Everything in my life is a glory carrier. Everything in my life is a glory carrier. 
prayer. I declare that my entire life is configured to house the glory of God. Yes, I am washed in glory. I am bathed in glory. I am saturated in glory. I do not reject the glory of God. I rejoice at the revelation of my King. I rejoice at the revelation of God. My life is not shut out from realms of spiritual engagement. I make journey into eternal truth. I make journey into eternal truth. In the name of Jesus, I decree and I declare that a path is opened up for me in the heavenly realms to journey into eternal truth. I decree and I declare that the spirit on the inside of me is ancient and is holy. Therefore, I have the capacity to receive the ancient words of God. Therefore, I have the ability for the ancient revelation and ancient truths to dwell in my inside. Even though my vessel be young, yet my soul is the soul of the Elohim Adonai, the ancient of days. There is a configuration in my inner man, in my spirit, that craves truth, that yearns for truth. I I reject foolishness. I reject stupidity. I reject simplicity. I reject smallness. I reject carnality. I reject fear in the name of Jesus. Come on, pray. Let the king inside of you wake up. Let the king inside of you wake up. Let the king inside of you wake up. Let the royal priesthood arise. Let the royal priesthood arise. Askare baba bonte, his comratale makaluka zakle ketele bianatonga, ikakane paruskele pa, shangon baraketa laba, esombre telematubra, ike zuvre ike parade. I refuse to settle for less. Aha, ezala nebrahunde kalabai. Come on, say it. Come on, say it. Come on, say it. Come on, say it. Declare over yourself, declare over your family, declare over your ministry, declare over your nation, declare over this generation. There is a ransom in the blood of Jesus, but we are the ones that deliver the ransom to the world. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And we win souls, even a million, billion souls will come to God because of the works of my hands. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So there's this song that I learned when I was in university. I'm sure most of us know it is an old hymn. And it completely changed my life. And every time I say it, I literally feel like I enter into the words of the song. It says, ancient words, ever true, changing me 
and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Let the ancient words, let the ancient words, what? Ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Let these ancient words impart. Yes, think it wherever you are. Ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let these ancient words impart. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let these ancient words impart. The words that changed Joshua. The words that made Gideon. The words that empowered Moses. The words that gave Solomon wisdom. The words that made Peter, James, John apostles. These same words are before me today. Let these words touch our hearts. Let these words transform our minds. Let these words put us right in the midst of God's glory. We receive your word. We honor your word. We are grateful for your word. Thank you, Father. Thank you, mighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Who is ready for tonight? Come on, we've already started our journey. God is doing something really powerful. There's a revival going on. There's a revival going on in our hearts and our souls. And we're going to keep pressing. 14 sessions in seven days. My goodness. I know God is going to do a lot. Um, for those in America, I know I'm having a session with you in a couple of hours. I think um, in four hours, actually. That's, um, I think, 6 p.m. Um, Houston time. I'm having a session with uh, Mantle of Deborah training. So if you're, if you're part of those people, don't miss it. I'm going to be teaching you. I'm um, in a couple of hours. And of course, after tonight's session, we meet again um, in the morning at 5 a.m. So there's a lot of work going on um, in this season, but it is spiritual um, labor. Um, I'm, I'm investing into the people, investing into the people. And, and part of the prayers I prayed earlier this afternoon was, God, please do not let me miss out on what I'm teaching. God, please do not let me teach on access and not have access because I perceive, Lord, that something is about to happen. So I ask, Father, please do not let me be a messenger that has no glory or honor in the message that she brings. So, Father, prepare me to receive. You know, um, I, I was telling the pastors the other time that last year when I taught on in September and I taught about gates and manning your gates and, you know, it was the, the, the season after the, the fast was the season where my gates were most attacked. 
And I wore for months after I taught that sermon because I felt the infiltration, a major infiltration that entered my life. And I was like, what is this? You know, and so I know now that I'm teaching access. I, I, I know how Satan works. You know, the apostle said, a great and effective door is opened unto me, but there are many adversaries. So open doors is also open adversaries. So I get it. So my prayer is, Lord, help. And I hope you've also been fasting. Push it, even if it's till two, till three, till four, till five. But let your spirit and your system know that you are determined to push a certain boundary. It's a problem when we, we hear the sound of war and cannot wake up to fight. It's actually a spiritual plague when you know it is the time to make decisive actions and you can't find it on the inside of you. So you have to pray if you've not been able to fast since we started. If you've been breaking your fast at 8 a.m., you need deliverance. So you have to ask the Lord to help you, you know, to push in the season. Hallelujah. So tonight, the Holy Ghost is ready for us again. Um, someone, a friend of mine asked me this every evening, Pia, are you, are you ready for this evening? I said, well, Jesus is ready and I'm ready through Jesus. And so I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to declare the words of Christ himself and let the power of metanoia meet with you as we speak the words of the Lord tonight in the name of Jesus. And so real quickly, um, someone sent me a message which I thought was really I was, it was a good message. I loved it. And she was telling me how they were teaching in church today from Luke 24. And when it got to the part of the scripture where they said, and Jesus opened their understanding, she said it was as though everything I had been teaching hit her. And she's like, yeah, understanding is a gate. I said, I'm grateful that is happening to people, that you are seeing scriptures differently now. I was like, that is so fantastic. So on your own, you are identifying gates. On your own, you are identifying gates. Um, so the thing, the funny thing is, I haven't even started teaching on gates. So tonight is the night where we are going to cross the, the introduction of this sermon. Because from tomorrow, session seven, we must start teaching on gates. So you see, so I've been on introduction since we started. I have not even entered any specific gates to start teaching on it. So tonight, by the grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to finish um, our introduction our context building, and we're going to enter into um, specific gates, gates of knowledge, gates of marriage, gates of family. Um, so that scripture she shared is, she, she spoke about Luke 24. I'm right, right? It's Luke 24, yeah, it's Luke 24. From verse um, 45, but let's look at verse 44. It says, and he said unto them, these are the words which I speak unto you while I was yet with you and all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. This was Jesus speaking after he had, um, he had resurrected. So he said, hey, I'm saying these things that I'm saying to you so that everything will be fulfilled. Then in verse 45, he says, then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scripture. And he said unto them, thus it is written, behold, it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead 
the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses to these things. And behold, I send the promise of the Father. And he went on and went on and he went on. But in verse 45, he had to say, then he opened their understanding because he had begun to speak to them about certain things and began to speak to them about the fulfillment of his life as the word of the Lord. I began to speak to them about the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the promises, the fulfillment of everything that the dimension of Moses released upon them, that they could not fully understand. But for them to even understand what he was trying to get them to understand, he needed to do one thing, which was open their understanding. That is to tell you that understanding has a door. Understanding has a door. Understanding has a gate. So there is the gate of understanding in itself that makes it possible for generations and nations and people and even a particular dimension and expression of God to be available on earth. It has to come out of the gate of understanding. But each one of us has got a door of understanding. And that is what makes it possible for us to even understand what the Lord is saying, what the Lord is giving. So that door had to be opened. And so my prayer for you is that the Lord will open your understanding. Remember the scripture says that the eyes of their understanding may be enlightened. So understanding has got eyes. So many people have the innate ability to understand, but it is possible for that spiritual organ of understanding to not be functioning properly. So some people have got understanding that has blurry eye vision understanding that has myopic eye vision, understanding that has um, long-sightedness or short-sightedness vision. So some people's understanding needs corrective spiritual lenses so that as your lenses are being adjusted, you can see clearly the image of Christ that is in front of you. Why is it necessary for you to see Christ's image clearly? Because Jesus is the ultimate door to all doors. If you cannot see Christ clearly, you cannot enter truly. And so the depth to which you enter into the realities of your blessing is dependent on how clearly you can see God, how clearly you can see Jesus. So Jesus is the measurement that determines how far a man can go. Jesus is the measurement that determines the depths that a man can enter into. So how the how clearly you can see Christ determines how deep you can go into the things that Jesus has promised you. So it says that he opened the eyes, the eyes of their understanding. So real quickly, I said to myself, saying that we are still, a, a, you know, not yet into, you know, the fullness of gates. Just a couple of things that can be opened. Are you ready? Just a couple of things that God can open for you before we go into the eight um, things that make an effective gate system. Number one, the eyes of the blind. So when your eyes are blinded, it can be open. Isaiah 42 verse 7 says, it is written, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from prison. So one of the things that can be open to you are your eyes. So put your hand on your eyes and say, Lord, open my eyes. Give me eyes that can see. 
from that same scripture in Isaiah 42, another thing that a person has to be broken open from is called the dungeon. The dungeon is where spiritual prisoners are kept. The dungeon is where a part of your life is dragged into by Satan. The dungeon is the place in the spirit realm where people are taken. It is beneath and underneath the the structure you see on top. So you know when you have a situation where you've tried everything you think you know you should do, but it's like it's not happening. It is when Satan has taken certain aspects of people's lives and locked it in a dungeon. You see, usually it is the hardened prisoners and the ones that they did not want to find any way to escape that they used to take to the dungeon. And so many times when Satan sees that certain people have got certain capacities, abilities, and possibilities of greatness, he does not even wait for them to become. He locks them up real quickly. But the Bible says that part of the things that Jesus comes to do, part of the access ways that he opens is those that are in, that are prisoners in the dungeon. Another prison that God breaks us from is those that dwell in darkness. So darkness is another form of prison and it has a door. It has bars. It has gates. So God can break you out of darkness. I hope you are all with me. So these things I'm telling you, this was even part of my teaching notes. I prepared this like five minutes before the class. When I saw the lady's message, I was like, huh, okay. I haven't gotten to the gate teaching. Let me just share this one real quickly. as just, you know, just some popcorn for us to hold on this as we're going on this journey today, you know. So darkness is another prison um, in the spirit realm. It's another instrument of captivity in the realm of the spirit. So one of the things that is important for you to pray for every day is that God breaks you out of the captivity of darkness. Are you with me? out of the captivity of darkness. So another thing, what does, it, what does darkness mean? It means that you're, you are shielded from illumination and you are shielded from sight and you are kept away from visibility. So darkness manifests itself in different ways, in different ways. So apart from the fact that you find it hard to understand things or also another manifestation of darkness is that it keeps you from being seen. And it keeps you from being visible. So have you seen some people who labor more than others, but yet they never get reward? Who work more than others, but yet they never get promotion? It is part of the orchestrations of darkness. So it keeps your glory and your light away. So when you are praying things like Isaiah 42, you are actually playing, praying the will of God and the heart of God. Because nobody lights a lamp and keeps it under a bushel. Nobody establishes a city and keeps it under wraps. God wants to place us on the hills and wants to put us in visibility. So when you say, God, break me out of darkness, you are not being prideful. When you say, God, put me in the limelight, you are not being prideful. It is part of the things that God has called you to do and to be. It is part of the configuration of the Christian life. Now, um, in talking about our things that God is breaking out from, part of it is our mysteries. Another door that must be open to you is the door of mysteries. Revealing hidden mysteries. Write it down. Daniel 
2 verse 22, it says, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. So there is a door to mysteries. You understand what I'm saying? There is a door to mysteries. The Bible says that when Jesus would give parables, he would say to the people, sometimes he left the crowds outstanding. They were outstanding at his wisdom. They were outstanding at his great speech, but they never really understood. But the Bible says that when he would go in with his disciples, he would break down the things that he said to the people and open the mysteries to them. When he came back after resurrecting, he spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom. 40 days teaching them about kingdom life. You need to get it. After resurrecting, Jesus could have done anything else. He could have come back, defeated Pilate, scattered everywhere, earthquake. But he spent 40 days teaching. Hey, you need to understand why it is important. And I usually tell people when they say PI prayer meetings, why don't you, when you call for prayer, you are not praying throughout. I say, because you see, there are some prayers you pray for two hours that should be two minutes prayer when you have revelation. Because you are spending the first hour trying to even enter the spirit. The next 40 minutes, you are using it to adjust your lenses so that you may be able to hit the mark on what the true point is. And then you pray it for the last 15 minutes. But you see, when you have understanding of the processes of the spirit, of the systems of the spirit, of the protocols of the spirit, it is very easy for you to hit the mark really quickly. And so you then realize what Jesus was saying about a Pharisaic spirit that thinks that prayer is about the abundance of words. The reason why they had abundance of words is because they did not have abundance of revelation. So Jesus says, these ones don't know God because the ones that know God know that it is not because I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not against long prayers. I, I believe in stretched intercession, but I'm also telling you that there is a place where you are not just interceding for long, just to stir up your spirit, but when you have certain matters. So for example, God forbids that they call you that someone that is close to you is in an accident or something is happening that you need immediate response to. You don't have the time to begin to stir up your spirit. You must have been stirred. You must have come into revelation and understanding of what is causing this thing to happen. Which spirit is at work? Because there is a spirit behind every affair of the earth there always is so which spirit is at work what office does it report to what department of darkness has it come from which part of my own office can i pull out to war against it which part of my gift is meant to respond to this particular matter it takes revelation understanding to know the right equipment the right instrument by which you can wage war against different categories of satanic attacks understanding so, but you see, mysteries are revealed. The door can be opened. Now, people say to me, P.I., there are some things to say. It's like, how did you know? I, I don't know how to explain it to you. But the most I can do is saying, it's called the spirit of revelation. The moment I start to speak, 80% of the time, I see what I'm saying. And I am journeying into places in the spirit realm. So what I describe to you is a spiritual journey I am making. 
And it's not, sometimes it's not a journey I have made. Sometimes it's a journey I am making in the moment of breaking the word. So there is a door to mysteries. So pray and ask the Lord that he opens to you, opens in your spirit, the gate of mysteries. So that everything that is mysterious in this life and in even in the heavens is a mystery, is simplified to you. Why? Because you are a son of God. You understand? The master does not share secrets with his servants. He shares it with his son. There is something called family secrets. So you can't even be married into a family. 40 years, you will know some things. Why? It's called family secrets. You will see the woman and her family will come, they will stay in the dining. Then we say, hey, what's going on? Hey, ah, our husband. Ah, ah, hey, this your shirt is fine. It's called family secrets. Same thing. You can marry a man. His family will come. You will enter. You will, the room will be heavy and pregnant. You will know something is happening. What's happening? Nothing. Is it not this silly boy that does not want to finish, uni finish university? Don't mind him. We are talking to him. It's a lie sometimes. Sometimes it's not true. But it's okay. It's called family secret. It takes time and trust for secrets to be revealed. So part of the thing is that mysteries are yours because you are a son. Many of us don't know how to ask questions. So we don't get answers. Ask the Lord. When you are stuck, inquire of the Lord. My class, my comment says, sure, you're not passing the vibe check. So she has it. Yeah. They're not passing the vibe check. I need to know that they are here with me. Or are you writing? Are your hands busy writing? You are here. Vivian, thank you. Amor Kende, PDK, Audrey. Hey, I'm seeing my people. Viv hey, Stephanie. Hallelujah. Yes. Okay, they are here. They are here. <laughs> Mysteries are yours. So you need to ask the Lord to open you up and show you hidden things. Another thing that should be opened up to you is um, the knowledge of God's will. Colossians 1 verse 9, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there is something called the knowledge of God's will. It is a book in the spirit realm. And if you notice, the Bible says, and the ones whose, uh, whose name, no, no, no. It says, and their names were blotted out from the book of life. So you have to understand that it is not that your name is written in the book of life. It is that names are blotted out. So that means from the time that everybody is born, your name is written. So according to the eternal will and eternal plan of God, every man should return to him as a son. But it is people that while they are on earth, they don't make the decisions that will lead them back to him. That is when their names are blotted out. But if you notice, one of the things you find in scriptures, when every time they talk about heaven is books. Have you noticed? So if you have a problem with books on earth, you have a problem with heaven's culture. Because you will read steady in heaven. 
Now, it says, and books were open, and books were open. Every time they wanted to judge, they will open books, look at people's works, look at, because the will of God, David said, all the days of my life have been written in your books. So there is something called the book of your life. It's the book of the will of God concerning you. Sometimes you have to change your prayers. Take this Colossians 1, 9, for example, and begin to pray. If I, when I pray for my people, I pray prayers like this. Oh God, I pray for Kachi. I pray for Stephanie. I pray for Linda, that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that they may be filled with the knowledge of your will concerning them and be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because my God, if they don't know it and they don't have it, every other thing I'm trying to give to them, it's, they will fight against it. They will think I'm their enemy. So my God, show them your will for them. Father, so that the day I said, take this microphone and you preach the sermon the person would know that i am actually following a script that i have seen but if they don't see the script lord it becomes hard for me to execute my duty so father in the name of the lord jesus reveal to them the knowledge of your will pray it for yourself that i may know your will for my life not that you spend hours praying out of the will of god the reason why many of the things people say it is ineffective i will pray and god has not heard me is because you are not praying his will so, but okay, but how do I know the will of God? Colossians 1 verse 19. The will of God is within the gate of knowledge. There is something called the gate of the knowledge of God's will. It's a door that has to be opened to you and you have to enter it. When you enter the door of the knowledge of God's will, when you even sleep at night, you will see your future. You will sit in your office and you, for one minute you will blank out and you will see your tomorrow. It is called the door of the knowledge of God's will for your life. It can be opened to you, but you need to pray and you need to ask the Lord to open it up to you so that you will not spend your resources on the things that will not amount to anything eternal. Are you with me? It is very important that you hit the mark. Very important that you don't marry somebody that was not even in the script at all. In the entire book that God wrote, they didn't put the person's name there. So how did you end up with that person? So imagine that the person's name wasn't meant to be there. So you are living a life that is constantly being adjusted to, to, so that it may all end up in good. You understand what I'm trying to say? So these things I'm saying to you are not small things because it determines the entirety of your life, the entirety of your being. It will determine the battles you will fight. It will determine the victories you will have. If you align fully and stay in step with the will of the Lord, all the resources of God will be yours. All the grace and power will be yours. Your life will be much easier. So as opposed to spending all your time asking God for things you need to Amend the mistakes you have made. How about you just pray for alignment? Just pray for alignment. Another door that can be opened to you is wisdom from above. James 3 verse 17. Illumination of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 17. Um, you can also pray for your heart to be open to believe. Do you understand? Your heart to be open to believe. In Acts 16 verse 40, it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You need to get it. 
It's possible for God to open your heart to believe. So God starts saying to you, this is the season for you to make your first billion. This is the season for you to become an evangelist. Step out of everything and go and start evangelizing. This is the season for you. And you are struggling to believe it. In Acts 16 verse 14, it says there's a, there's a door of belief. Or maybe you've been trying to defend yourself in front of a panel. You've been trying to get your spouse. God has said to you, this is the next thing to do. But your spouse or your followers or your mentee, or they are struggling to believe. You have to pray, God, open their hearts to believe. You know, someone said to me, Pierre, you have such a great team. And I said, yes, I celebrate the people that work with me. They are powerful. They are like Gideon's army. Kidion's army, they believe. And, but you know what? This is one of the things that I prayed for and I still pray for. Every time when God says to me, it is time to go now to Uganda, I have to pray to say, Lord, open the hearts of the people to believe that this is your will. Because for every time we have to venture out, it costs us. And it is not a price that only I pay. It's a price that we all pay. So they cannot pay this price with me except they have personal conviction that it is a price that they have to pay and it is coming from God. So Lord, open their hearts to believe. These are the kind of things you have to do. Pray for your boss. God, open his heart to believe that I have been sent to this organization to believe the things that I carry, to believe the worth of my life, to believe, oh God, that your hand is upon me. It doesn't matter whether it's an unbelieving, unbelieving boss. Because these are spiritual rules that I'm telling you. If people that go to herbalists and have shrines can go there and say some silly incantations and blow some silly powder, and the next thing, their bosses are fools for them, and they give them offices in government, let alone you. The things that you have access to that you are not maximizing. So God can open hearts to believe. Another thing that can be opened to you is to see the kingdom of God. In John 3 verse 3, um, Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there are aspects of the kingdom that sometimes you need to pray about. So when you're struggling, you're like, God, you know why? I, I remember online, I struggled to start teaching on Zoom. I couldn't see how it was possible to build God's kingdom via Zoom. It didn't make any sense. How do I connect with the people? How do I connect? How do I, you know? So after spending years, months, moment, the Lord said to me, are you going to get up and adjust? Are you going to get up and just do my will? How about you pray about it? As opposed to spending time saying, you know, this is not me, this is not how. And I had to start praying. Say, Lord, expand my heart. If there are people that I will never reach except I get to Zoom. Their father, show me how to minister via Zoom. I had to pray about it. And I had to be willing for God to break me and for me to enter, should I say, a level of shame over the fact that I don't know how to do everything. And I don't know how to do this, but I don't have to say this is how it must be because there are souls everywhere. And I don't get to pick the parameters of my priesthood or my Life as a minister of the gospel, it is picked for me by heaven. So whatever is needed per time, I become all things to all men that I may win some. So if I have to be a Zoom preacher, I'm going to be a Zoom preacher. But I had to pray, Lord, help me to see your kingdom in this.
So you pray for these things. You can also be also pray for God to open his glory to you. Part of the prayers that Moses prayed was Exodus 33. Moses said, please show me your glory. Do you understand what I'm saying? Show me your glory. So this is another door you can pray for to be open to you. The door of the glory of God. That you may see it. That you may know it. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. Let my days not just go back doing human mundane things. But let me enter into a place where every waking moment of my life is a moment of possible encounter. <laughs> the last thing that I want to say, you can also pray for God to open out to you so that you can see his wondrous works, his one, see wondrous things in his law. Now, it is possible for two people to read the Bible and one person does not see it. In fact, I was saying to somebody one time, I said, the way the spirit of revelation works, and I said, open any scripture. And she was like, ah, P.I. I said, no, seriously. Open any scripture. <laughs> okay, that's my husband. <laughs> no. <laughs> I said, you know, the chairman of the house. No respect for my camera. And <laughs> <laughs> I said to her, I said, open any scripture. And, and give it to me. And the person said, okay. And I said, just open it and I'm going to explain it to you. And so they opened the scripture and I began to explain. And I began to explain. I said, open another one. I said, but Pierre, what is something you've not read before? I said, yes. Many times I forget plenty, half the things I read. I said, but I forget it in my humanity. But the spirit that wrote it lives on the inside of me. He's the author of the word. So he has the ability to expand any scripture to me. So you have to pray prayers like that. So what did the psalmist said? He said in Psalm 119 verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Do you know what that means? That's such a powerful prayer. So it is possible for you to have the law, but the door to see how wondrous the law is, is close to you. So that's why people say, I don't know how to deal with the Bible. Ah, every time I start reading, I read and I get distracted. Okay. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all the sayings and he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days, do you know that one verse, that one verse alone is powerful. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, that one alone, I can preach it for 30 minutes. He says, after Jesus had finished all these things, that means that there are some things that Jesus will say that are precursors to the main thing he wants to say. So he will finish the things that are normally said, and then he will say the ones that are meant for his disciples. So there are some sayings that will finish. There are some times in your life that Jesus is only saying the things that are said, but there are the things that he really wants to say that he now begins to reveal to you. And the only qualification for that is that you must be his disciple. It is a prayer that I prayed. I remember I was, I think, 18 and a half or 19. And I had just bought a new Bible because I had just joined this new church then in school in Ghana. And I remember the first time I heard the preaching in the church, I was like, my gosh, my God, what do I do with myself? Am I even born again? You know, and I was like, I need to know God's word. And 
I remember um, the pastor said to me, so where is your Bible? And I was like, eh, okay, let me go and borrow. He said, you are not ready for this Christianity. You are not ready. So I remember I went, I bought my Bible. I still remember the Bible. It's as wide as my palm. It's this long, blue, you know. And in one of those Bibles you could put in your back pocket then in university, you could carry it in your small handbag. You could take it anywhere. And I remember holding that Bible on my bed one Saturday morning. And I said, God, you know, I don't really know your word. I don't really know it the way that Pastor this knows it or this other person. I said, but God, I promise you, if you open my eyes so that every time I open your word, I see something new and I understand it. If you can open my eyes to always have revelation when I open your word, I promise you that I will preach the gospel. This was the agreement that I made with God. And I said, if you would do this, I promise that I will always preach the gospel. And guess what? God has been doing it since then. Since then, every time I open if I don't preach, it is not lack of, it's not for lack of revelation. It is maybe tiredness or time. Pray prayers like that, because that was what he said. Open my eyes that I may see your wondrous works in your law, that I may see wondrous things in your law. So do you want to pray that prayer over yourself today? If you have your Bible with you, hold it. Just hold it to your chest. Just hold that word of the Lord. If you don't have your Bible, just pray. Maybe you have your Bible online, but I don't see why people don't have physical Bibles. Just pray and say, Lord, if you did it for Pastor AC, you can do it for me. She prayed it many years ago and it's still an answered prayer till today. So Lord, I am asking you in the name of the Lord Jesus, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your law. Father, may I never read the Bible again and not understand it. Whenever I hold the scriptures, Jesus, let it be a time of outpouring. Wherever I read the word, let it be a time of outpouring. Open my eyes because the wondrous things are already there in your law. The problem is not the law. The problem is my eyes. So God, touch my eyes, the eyes of my spirit, the eyes of my mind, the eyes of my soul, so that when I read the Bible, every full stop, every comma, every um, sentence will leap out to me because I know that your word is the residue of your wisdom. I know that your word is a house for revelation. So God, may I not minimize this eternal vastness that is locked in your word. So open my eyes that I may see wondrous things. In the name of Jesus. And so I declare that the God who wrote Psalm 119 verse 18, let him be your God. The God who inspired the psalmist to write this word, let him be our God. That every single one of us, we are entering into the season of opened eyes in the name of Jesus. I pray for the gate of your eyes. I 
I pray for the gate of your understanding. I pray for the gate of your revelation that they be open now in the name of Jesus. Even as the Bible declares in Luke 24 verse 45 that Jesus opened their understanding. Jesus, I ask you once again that you open our understanding tonight. Father, that none of us will live here blind. That none of us will leave this session deaf. That none of us will leave this session with hardened hearts. Open our understanding in the name of Jesus. Yes. Yes, Lord, I want to see you. Arabakasha. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and might. As we sing holy, holy, holy. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and might as we sing holy, 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 I want to see you, I want to see you. Thank you, Jesus. May we see you, may our children see you. May our children's children see you. May generations that come from us see you. This sight you are giving to us, let it be a gift that we give to our children and to their children's children. The ability to see the God that we have worshipped. The capacity to see the God we have followed. May our spouses see you. May our nation see you. May our congregation see you. May our businesses see you. Let everything that we build with our hands see you. Open the eyes of everything that I build, oh God, so that everything that I build will be able to see God. In the name of Jesus. I feel the presence of God so strong over this prayer. I feel the weight of his spirit and I feel the weight of the pleasure of the Holy Spirit over this prayer. I can sense that it pleases the Lord that we are making this prayer. So can you just press in for one more minute? I don't care how powerful you already are. He's the eternal God. So there is so much to be known. There is so much to see in him. So can you press in for one more minute? I just tell him, I want to see you. I want to see you. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. In the name of Jesus. Alekoria sebalakeika dombarahose gelikat. Hamashamre indokofe selemai. 
Komelele bosha klene miakanda barose. Iskambrandele keba. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Kozevelina. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Real quickly, eight spiritual components that make up an effective gate system. Because we've been talking about gates. I've been talking about gates being access ways. We've been talking about gates being entrance into new places. And God is taking every one of us that are on this fast and this seven days, God is giving you access. Somebody said to me today, earlier today, I said, Pia, I've never been pregnant. And I say, you're going to be pregnant this year. And I said it, as soon as I said it, I believed it because there is access. Access is granted. God is opening up. God is unveiling. God is removing the veil, removing the shield that is covering us. We will not dwell in darkness anymore. We reject darkness. We reject darkness. We reject every work of darkness in the name of Jesus. We reject dark people. We reject dark altars. We reject darkness in any form in Jesus' name. We will not participate with it. We will not give our lives or our resources to darkness. We have no covenant with darkness in the name of Jesus. We reject it. So this is our season of access. No part of our life will be shielded anymore. And so we've been teaching about gates and how gates are entryways and how gates are connecting places in the realm of the spirit and how gates are responsible for access. So it's spiritual components that make up an effective gate system. Because if you're going to run an effective gate system, you must know how gates work if you're going to manage access. Number one is gatekeepers. To have an effective gate system, there must be a gatekeeper. I want to explain certain things to you. Maybe when I get to the part where I talk about the different kinds of, um, I don't want to say creatures or beings that you find at gates, I will expand on it better with scriptures. But just a couple of things you find at gates. You find things like cherubims. Remember the cherubims in the Garden of Eden. You know, so don't, don't, Join those prayers when they start ch chanting, uh, Angel Michael, Angel Uriel, Angel this one, Angel that one, Cherubim, Cherubim, Cherubim. We don't do that. We don't worship the creatures in the heavenly realms. Every time that an angel appeared to somebody and the person tried to worship them about this, stopped them immediately because worship belongs to God alone. Worship belongs to God. It, it, it is a spiritual substance that nobody else is configured to receive. So when you now begin to receive what is against your configuration, it is bound to pervert and to corrupt you. And it will then break your office and take away the strength of your office. So worship belongs to the Lord. So, but one of the things you will find during a gate, a time of a gate or a season of gates are spiritual beings because they control gates and they stand as gate keepers so you you can find cherubim so part of the things you should exp expect in these seven days is heightened angelic activities maybe in your dreams in your visions in your houses in your cars mute your microphones please thank you all around you Thank you. Can you please, what's the name of the person? 
favor, favor. I don't know which favor, but please favor if you can hear me. Your your mic went unmuted. So please check it and make sure you don't unmute again. Okay. Thank you. So um, so cherubims are usually found at the gate. Um, angels, for example, like the angel that was standing between the children of Israel and at Gilgal, between them and Jericho, manning the gates to the next level of their victory, manning the gates into the land of Jericho. So they are usually angels that stand um, at seasons of transition, you know, in the same way that Jacob encountered an angel at Peniel when he was about to make a season of transition, the same way Hagar encountered an angel in the wilderness when she was about to make a season of transition. The angel told her, go back and submit to your master, you know. So um, you find out that consistently through scriptures, when people get into seasons of transitions, there is heightened angelic encounter that happens. When Jesus was born, there were angelic encounters in the land and angels appeared to the shepherds and said to them hey look at the son of god has been born you know you then realize that when you look at the bible angels usually man the gates of time and usually man the gates of new seasons man the gates of new expansions man the gates of new territories another thing you see um, at, at gates times are principalities and powers because you know usually when you are talking about gates in the spirit realm you are talking about major entryways now I'm not just talking about a door or a window I'm talking about a gate you are talking about a major entry into a system into a sector into a nation into a territory you are talking about entering into a major spiritual operation so you usually have gatekeepers that man those gates so when Daniel was praying, even though he was just a man, he was praying the kind of prayer that was going to bring national liberation. So that was literally pulling one nation out of another nation. It was a major political move that was about to happen. It was a major political transition that was about to happen between two nations. And there are gatekeepers that stand over things like that. So the Bible says when Daniel was praying, Gabriel was bringing the answer, but there was a gate keeper over Persia and his name is called the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Persia withstood Daniel. Why? Because he was a gatekeeper over the territory of Persia. Now and then the Bible says that if when he withheld um, Gabriel that what's his name? Michael who is Daniel's spirit prince came and saved Gabriel so that he could deliver the letter. I found that really fascinating that that um, what's his name? Daniel was so powerful that his spirit prince, the person that night, remember the prince of Persia was what was ruling over Persia and he was withstanding an answer and deliverance to coming through Persia. But Michael is, was the prince that worked with Daniel. That is to tell you how Daniel was. Daniel was so powerful. Daniel was like an entire territory in the realm of the spirit, that an archangel was the one that works with Daniel. So every time there's a warfare that pertains to anything that concerns Daniel, Michael attends to it. That is how powerful people can be where you are just one man on the earth, but you are like a major spiritual territory so that every time you are making spiritual engagement or trade, an archangel literally needs to war with you because your prayers are territorial prayers. Your prayers are nation breaking, nation shaking prayers. Your prayers literally cause 
uh, emancipation of one nation from another nation, one race from another race. So it is, it is possible for you to be so great that you yourself are like a gate in the realm of the spirit. Now you then see also that another um, thing we'll find is there are people that are actually like gatekeepers. You find them also at gates. You see um, Rahab. Rahab was a gatekeeper, whether you like it or not. The Bible says that Rahab was this um, prostitute who ran this institute um, in Jericho. And when the, spouse, the, the spies were running, it was Rahab that took them in. And Rahab said to the, 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 the soldiers, no, they are not here. They did not pass here. Rahab had an entire system of deliverance. Rahab had an entire system of liberation for the spies. Rahab had an entire system of escape for the spies. And so as you are a believer, there are certain things you need to understand. That whether or not you like certain people or whether or not you agree with certain things, there are some people that by reason of their labor, their diligence and consistency, they have arrived at being gatekeepers over certain territories. Now, if the territory in itself is not consecrated unto God, it is possible for a perverse and perverted priest to rise up and be a gatekeeper in that territory. Remember, Jericho was a land that used to offer up sacrifices child sacrifices and they used to sacrifice to the god called Molech who required babies to be burned in their bull furnace and the ashes of the babies they will take it and lock it up in jars and they will hide the ashes in the walls this was how Jericho preserved itself now you begin to understand why God caused the walls of Jericho to crumble it is not a smart financial move to make as a person who is taking over a nation to completely break down the entire defense system of that nation. When you take over a nation, the first thing you want to know is where are their warheads? Where are their missiles? Where are their nuclear weapons? You want to know because you need it. The defense system of a territory becomes your strength if you can find out what it is. But the reason why God made what looked in the physical like a foolish move was because their defense system was Molech. They had hidden in the walls of Jericho the ashes of babies that they burned to their demonic satanic God. And that was what was speaking for them. And that was what was speaking for their deliverance. So when God says, I need you to march around the walls of Jericho, carry the Ark of Covenant, let the priests go before and let the people march around it. God was addressing the issue of the God so that and the seventh day when they opened their mouths and they shouted to the God of Israel, the wall came crumbling down because it is sacrifice for sacrifice, altar for altar, diligence for diligence. Do you know what it takes to burn your own baby to a God? That depth of sacrifice requires another kind of sacrifice that the people will march around for seven days and say nothing. And on the seventh day, march around seven times. It is sacrifice for sacrifice. So they could not bring down the defense of Molech until they had paid the price to the God of Israel. And so by the time they opened their mouths and screamed, they were raising up because every time the babies were born, you will hear the scream of the babies coming out of the bull. And as the babies were thrown into the furnace, you will hear their cry. Ah! And as the cries of the baby will go up, the people will rejoice and dance around the calf. Another kind of cry came out at the walls. And it was the cry of a people who believed their God. 
It was a cry of the people who knew what the God of Israel looked like. And so God had to crumble the wall. If not, the children could not take the city. Now, Rahab had her entire institution on the wall. The reason why a prostitute could be a gatekeeper is because the foundation of that territory in itself was corrupt and perverted and satanic. So a prostitute who carries the embodiment of demonic transactions, she's a halfway house for satanic transactions because sex is one of the deepest kinds of spiritual actions you can have. And then you have a being who is the carrier of those who sacrifice to Molech, those who carry Ashtoreth. Every time she's a house where the transaction is always going on, she could sit on the wall because she and the God of the world were the same. And so when they came into the land, it was possible for Rahab to be the one who gave them a covering and gave them escape route because the Jericho, Rahab was a gatekeeper in Jericho. So there are some gatekeepers in business because that entire terrain in itself is demonic. So for you to have been able to live in Jericho and yet be able to rule in Jericho, if you were not a part of that God system, you had to have a superior altar system if you were ever going to be a gatekeeper and not sacrificing to their God. That's why some of you in the marketplace, you don't understand what you are dealing with. So sometimes they promote you to keep you in the system, not because you are accepted. They promote you to keep you in the system because your grace is needed, your oil is needed, but not because you are accepted by the demonic systems. So, but for you to be able to live, be a gatekeeper, you must have an altar system that is higher than what they are offering for you to be a gatekeeper there. Um, some, another gatekeeper you see is Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a gatekeeper over Israel and over Egypt. And you, you, you need to understand how it works. The children of Israel were the children of Abraham. But there was something that was going on in their lives. God had already said to Abraham that your children, a generation will come that will be taken into captivity in Egypt. For 400 years, they'll be held as slaves. And so the children of Israel were under captivity to a word that was spoken even before they were born. So if you were born into that generation, you did not know, if you did not have the gift of revelation, understanding, foresight, and prophecy, there was no way you were going to know that your captivity was the product of a former transaction that happened years before you were born. That's why it is important for us to pray the kind of prayers that I led you to pray so that you will see the years and generation of spiritual transactions that are led to where you are. Because when you see a human being, a human being is not just appearing on earth. A human being is a composition of previous spiritual transactions that have gone on between their lineage and their gods. So when you appear in your own time, you have to be like Jabez that then raises your own spiritual transaction. So the only reason why the children of Israel could be held by Pharaoh is because there was an agreement. So a generation needs to rise up that disagree with a previous agreement and then raises and Jabez says, even though my mother called me one that will be Jabez because I was born in pain, but God, give me a new name. Give me a new blessing and break me out of the previous contracts that were written. 
Now, Pharaoh was a gatekeeper, and upon the crown of Pharaoh was a sign of the God. So Pharaoh was revered as a God because the gatekeeper on earth is like the God himself. If you remember that dream I had when the man was shouting, Amadio, Amadio, the power, the, the, the confidence he had to evoke that God came from the fact that he was a gatekeeper. So there are gatekeepers like that. Now, who are gatekeepers? Gate gatekeepers are responsible to be guardians of security. So gatekeepers basically are supposed to secure the gates. Do you understand? They are meant to safeguard the entrance, maybe to cities, fortresses, or significant locations. They serve as defense against potential threats and enemies, you know, and people who want to control that area. My question to you is, do you recognize that you are a gatekeeper? Do you recognize that God has raised you to be the gatekeeper over your home, to be the gatekeeper over your family, to be the gatekeeper over your generation, that you were meant to ensure security? There is something my mother always says. She'll say, now Percy went there inside house. Now they open door for stranger from outside to fit enter. So there are some things that you begin to deal with and you ask yourself, are the gatekeepers taking their full responsibility? Are the gatekeepers over the home taking their full responsibilities? There are some things a woman will be dealing with. Man, check yourself. As the gatekeeper over the house, the Bible says that Adam was there with Eve. He was not deceived. How did he stand and watch her eat that fruit? How did he stand and watch the conversation go on between um, the serpent and his bride and he did nothing about it? As a gatekeeper, you are meant to be there for the security of your home. Now, as a gatekeeper also, apart from security, gatekeepers maintain order. Gatekeepers maintain order. Another thing is gatekeepers have the symbolic, it's, a, it's like a symbolic role that you are meant to play, that you are there and you are present. is a role, it's a sign of the way God's system works. So for every gate to be effective, there must be somebody manning the gates. Gatekeepers usually pay a greater price than the people in the city because when a gate is being attacked, the gatekeeper is who they come for first. There are some of you that you... you when Satan wants to come for your teenage children, what they do is that he attacks your heart. The child starts to misbehave. The child starts to misbehave and you start getting angry, you start getting irritated. You start getting frustrated with the child and then you want to stop praying and you just start saying, I don't know, he has really changed, she has really changed, I don't know what's going on, these children. But do you recognize that what is going on is the enemy actually trying to distract you as the gatekeeper so that you no longer play your role of protection and preservation and you get enticed into a place where you fling open the gates and the enemy can infiltrate. So gatekeepers must be ready to pray, pay a greater price, even in emotions and heart. Another thing, um, I'm, I'm, I'm rushing now. <laughs> Another thing about 
the second thing actually in the components that make up an effective gate system is alters. Now, the thing about alters is that it is not the altar that provokes a promise. Please don't stop playing. Usually, it is the promise that makes you build an altar. And as we go on, you begin to see how, you know, the people of old will raise an altar because God has said something. And I think two days ago, I was teaching people how to build altar structures, build your business as an altar, build your ministry as an altar, build your friendships as an altar. Let everything you build and everything you have become a place where the, the, the fragrance of God can come from. Now, when you ask for the opinion of men, when building an altar unto God, you are bound to compromise the structural integrity of the altar. Because you see, it is not men that tell you what an altar should look like. It is God. It is God that indicates what he wants that altar to look like. So the problem with a lot of altars is that the structural integrity has been compromised. The spiritual integrity has been compromised because it's a case of, well, I don't know, this person does not really like that, you know, we do this in the office or even in your home. Down to the culture of your home is part of your altar structure. Down to the way you talk to your children is part of the altar structure. Down to the way you treat your staff at home is part of the altar structure. So if any part of that altar is compromised, it will compromise the outpouring that can happen through the altar or its ability to be an effective gate in the spirit realm. Now, there are eight functions of altars, real quickly. Number one, an altar is a place where humanity meets with the spirit realm, where the natural meets with the divine. That is one of the functions of an altar. The second function of an altar is that it's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of sacrifice. Anything you are raising to God as an altar system that is not marked by sacrifice cannot be called an effective altar system. The third thing about altars is that they are places of convenience. So when you look at like Genesis 12 verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So altars are used to commemorate covenants or agreements between God and his people. So it serves as a reminder of God's promise. So the moment God gives you a word, you need something that serves as a reminder. So we cannot go and be building stone and you know, uh, wood and oil and point it in our houses. That's not our altar anymore. So we have become the living sacrifice. So if I am the sacrifice, where is my altar? Because the sacrifice is placed on the altar. So if I am a living sacrifice, so where is my altar? My altar is my life. My altar is my home. My altar is my friendships. My altar is my job. My altar is my business. My altar is my marriage. My altar is how I raise my children. My altar is what I eat. My altar is who I talk to, what I say. Because I am the sacrifice. So everywhere I go and everything I do is an altar unto the Lord. And upon the altar, covenants are made. So altars are used to commemorate covenants that are made unto the Lord. 
So as you are giving yourself this thing that we are doing for seven days, it is us building up our altar. So listen out for confidence that God will make with, with you. And every time God gives you a word, have a structure that is a symbol that you have heard it, that you believe it, and you will remember it. Let there be something you do to remember the word of the Lord. For some of you, it's a seed you need to sow. It's a seed you need to sow. God will give you a word. <laughs> you know, we'll get there. Look at Solomon. When God, when Solomon entered and became king, the first time that Solomon went to offer our sacrifices to the Lord, Solomon killed, I think in numbers, if, if you number it, I think it was almost 90 something thousand that he killed. People say it's a thousand. It's not thousand. No. Go and look at it well. Solomon, like we did, God didn't ask you. Why are you, what is this about? God had to come and ask you, what do you want? What do you want? I don't know if you know what I'm saying. There's, there's a way somebody, <laughs> there's a way some people will be trying to reach me. That after a while, I will have to pick up my phone to say, what exactly do you want? Some of us don't know how to call God's attention. We don't even know how to make people call God for us. Have you seen where a good man is trying to reach somebody? All the good man needs to do is, because of your goodwill, you will say, please, I need to reach the social service, so can you help me? People want to respond to you and help you make calls. How many people are calling God for your sake? How many people are you shaking that they sit down because of you, they're like, ah, God, hey, bless this person. Some of us don't know how to shake people. My father then, I remember one of us was trying to get something for my dad. So somebody, ah, we're like, ah, daddy, daddy, don't worry. I think one person cooked beans or something. Ah, daddy, sweet beans. Another person arranged the man, correct, and they have my black soup. Arranged the man well. My father did for the other person. What and we're like, ah, ah, daddy, now half daddy say, ah, ah. <laughs> person when one catch lion, you know, go use chicken catch and now goat, you go take catch the lion. Depending on what you are trying to catch, you will use the size of the animal you will use is dependent on the other animal you are trying to catch. Why am I saying this? I know somebody may listen to me and say, ah, but God is not a respecter of people. God is say, ooh, 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 ooh. Okay, continue. You have not seen issues before. Where you will take everything you have, everything you have, you will blatter it. As you are sowing the seed, tears. You don't have you been crying before? You don't know you are crying. Your eyes, tears are coming out. People will be saying, "Ah, oh, why are you crying?" So I'm not crying. No, I'm not crying. Offering time. When they say everybody dance for, everybody's dancing. People have time to even give dance step. It's because the thing they are giving never pain them. They say when you offer, you break your leg. You will just be moving gently to the altar. Because you know, as you are dropping this one, it is either God, yes, 22,000 cows, 120,000 sheep and goats. That was what Solomon killed. Can you imagine? Who does that? No, who does that? There are some seeds you will sow to my life. I will fast for seven days. Not because you asked me to, I will just fast. I will say to myself, my God, no, 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 no. Somebody cannot do this for me. I have to do something for the person. I can't give them Anything in return. This is all I have power. Let me, like, it, it is, and God also came down and said to Solomon, what do you want? 
I have seen, when I was in university, I raised people. And I have seen conversion till now happen in people's lives. I have seen people transform. But one of the keys to transformation is hunger. And hunger makes people pay the kind of prices that are not normal. When you see the way that they are, you will know that what this person is looking for is not here. The altar that they are even putting the seed on does not have the ability to answer them. They are trying to provoke the God of the altar. So why am I saying this? I said the altar is a place of covenant. When Solomon gave this, what happened? God came down and said, Solomon, what do you want? And then that was where Solomon received the wisdom, the revelation, the understanding that made him the great king that we all know him to be today. Another thing about um, the altar is that the altar is a place of worship. You cannot say that you are an effective altar unto God if you are not a worshiper. It's not possible. Worship is not a song. Worship is an open door of spiritual transaction. A consistent open door of transaction between you and heaven. So it may be while you are in the bathroom, your spirit is meditating upon the Lord. It may be that you are about to release a new product and in your heart, you are thinking this product, is it building up humanity or breaking down humanity? They say to you, just add this chemical. It will have a longer shelf life, but the only side effect is that uh, it may cause cancer, but that's if people use it for 70 years straight. But you know that you cannot because ah, you are an altar builder. That business must be an altar. You cannot put that sacrifice. Why? Because you are called to worship God. And for you to worship God, you must honor and love people. Altars are places of worship. Altars are places of worship. Another thing about altars is that altars are central, were central to the act of worship and sacrifice, providing the place for individuals to offer up gifts. So it is from the altar that people offer up gifts to God. Another thing that happens at the altar is that dreams and visions are released. Dreams and visions. You know, you see, um, um, what's his name? Jacob at the altar of Abraham. So there's no old altar. There's no outdated altar. They speak. So you see him there and his eyes open and he had a dream. So for some people, they'll say, ah, since I moved to America or since I moved to Jamaica, since I moved to Japan, my dream life, go and check the altar in that place. So there are some altars that will seize your vision, your dreams of the night. You can't see again. You enter some places, you go blank. You are looking for your navigation. So you then have to be, to be intentional about raising an altar that becomes your connection between you and God. Because dreams are usually part of the manifestations of strong altar systems. When Abraham raised an altar, when God was going to seal up the covenant between him and Abraham for his generation, the Bible says that Abraham dreamt. It was in a dream he saw God offering up the sacrifice on behalf of both of them. So whenever there's an active altar, there's an active dream life. There's usually an active dream life. So 
Another thing about altars, altars change the destinies of people, families, and communities. People, families, and communities. Altars can change it. Another thing about altars is that altars usually summon particular deities. Altars summon particular deities. So wherever an altar is raised, the God to whom the altar is raised has authority over that area. Are we together? He has authority over that area. Some other principles to note about altars is that there's always an instruction of how the altar should be built. There's always a reward for the altar. There's always a principality at the altar that the human is making a covenant with. So whatever covenant is made at this altar affects everyone in that bloodline. So the sacrifice on the altar seals the agreement between the human and the spirit, and it gives the spirit free will to rule within the jurisdiction of that individual or that bloodline. So when you begin to pray and you are praying and saying, God, I break every altar that is raised in my bloodline. For my father's side, through my mother's side, I decree that in the name of the Lord Jesus, none of it shall be effective in me, in my lifetime, or in my children. I decree that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that every satanic altar, listen, don't let anybody tell you all these prayers in Christ Jesus. Yes, it is so. But have you implemented it? Have you established it? Yes, Jesus has given you, but what have you done to establish it? Now, I usually like telling the story of um, Joshua, um, how Joshua did not inquire of the Lord before he made a covenant with the Gibeonites. And, but God had to honor the covenant in the time of David. So 300 years later, there was a drought in the land. After Joshua made a covenant with the Gibeonites, who he was not supposed to make a covenant with, he made a covenant with them. 300, I need you to hear me, 300. 100 years later. Do you want to know what 300 years means? Somebody makes a covenant. How am I supposed to know? Do we even have records that go as back as 300 years in Africa? How many nations have a record from 300 years ago? But you see, this is why records are needed. This is why sometimes write your covenant, not sometimes, all the time, write your covenants down. Write your agreements with God. Write the things that the Lord says to you. Write them down. Because generations will come that will use your writings to navigate their lifetime. They will use your writings as the compass for their spiritual lives. Write them down. So Joshua made an agreement with the Gibeonites 300 years before David. Now David comes and there is a drought in the land because King Saul had killed some of the Gibeonites, which nobody knew still that, look, this is what's going on. Saul killed some of the Gibeonites. Then a curse was released over the land because of Saul's actions. So you, you see this and you then begin to realize that. So what then happened when this was happening? And it says, David said, so 
while David was king, there was a time without food for three years. This is the scripture. David went to the Lord. The Lord said, it is because of Saul and his house of blood, for he put Gibeonites to death. So the king called, verse two, the king called the Gibeonites. Now the Gibeonites were not, were not of the sons of Israel. <clears throat> so excuse me. The Gibeonites were not of the sons of Israel, but of the people who were left of the Amorites. The sons of Israel had made an agreement with them, but Saul had wanted to kill them because he thought so much of the sons of Israel and Judah. David said to the Gibeonites, what should I do for you? How can I pay for the sin? So you may bring good to the land of the Lord. Now, these were the Gibeonites. They were not even spiritual people. When I say spiritual, they were not worshipping the God of Israel. Here is David saying to them, what should I do so that you may bring good to the land of the Lord? Let me say something. It says Saul wanted to kill them because he thought so much of the sons of Israel and Judah. So what Saul did you would have, is because he was like, are we are the sons of God. We are the chosen one. We are the people with the covenant. Let us kill anybody else that does not carry, you know, that does not worship God. That it is important to know who you are in God. But do not fall into spiritual arrogance that is not backed up by revelation and spiritual data. It is good to be confident in God. But do not fall into spiritual that is not backed up by revelation and spiritual data. For example, there are some people that will say, you know, my father is this, my mother is that, I don't know, I'm just going to this. And then you, 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 you insult your parents and then you think that your life will be okay. It does not matter if they are Gibeonites. The fact that there is a standing order in the spirit realm as to how things should work. It has the ability to limit you in this life. You need to understand it. So here is David going to the Gibeonites and saying, what can I do? A whole David, a whole God, going to the Gibeonites and asking them, how can we appease you? So there are sometimes you have to understand that you need data to be able to know how to arrange yourself. For example, you have a staff working with you. Even if the staff is a staff, is a worshiper of Shongo, and then you saw the person slap the person, treat the person like whatever. Tomorrow they harm your child, and you are like, "But God, but God, I'll be the keeper of covenant. Your covenant does it not have rules and regulations? How did God say you should treat people? You need to understand it. So don't just have, don't be a petty rascal." So you believe in, I believe in this, I believe in that, but you don't have the data to know how to navigate around people's systems, locations. Who are the gatekeepers over your life to honor? They don't need to know Jesus. Understand what I'm talking about. There are some things, except God clearly tells you, disregard and turn your back. There are some things you should never do because according to the laws, you can be taken down. So David said, what shall we do, you know, um, so that you can, you know, bring good to the land of the Lord? And mm -hmm. the king said to him, we will take no silver or gold from Saul or his family. Mm -hmm. And it is not for us to put any man 
to death in Israel. So David says, I will do for you whatever you say. So they said to the king, Saul destroyed us and planned to keep us from staying in the land of Israel. Let seven men from his sons be given to us. We will hand them before the Lord at Gibeon on the Lord's mountain. And the king said, I will give them. But the king kept alive Mephibosheth, the son of son Saul, Jonathan, because David had made a promise to Saul's son, Jonathan, before the Lord. So even when David, remember, I told you data and history. So when David was even going to hand over Saul's sons to the Gibeonites so that they will kill them and the land will be restored, David did not hand over Mephibosheth. He did not hand over Mephibosheth because he had made a promise to Jonathan before the Lord. So his own covenant did not allow him, he couldn't break his covenant so that he could then fulfill Joshua's covenant to the Gibeonites. He couldn't do it. So he's, by, because of the covenant he had made with God, he had to keep Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. And then he gave Saul's other sons to the, to the Gibeonites to kill. That's why you need to know who you are making covenants with. There are some key people in this life, when you meet them, when they enter your life, they say, Jonathan was dead when all of this was happening. But the agreement Jonathan made kept Mephibosheth from the errors of Saul. So Mephibosheth's father made the right covenant that shielded Mephibosheth from the satanic covenant his grandfather made. You are the Jonathan to your children. You are the Jonathan that will cover your seed from the errors of their forefathers. The covenants you are making today will determine what will happen to your generations when you're gone. You need to get it. You need to get it. So when rulers enter nations, they make new covenants on behalf of the nation. They make new covenants for the people to shield them from the previous things that were spoken over the land. That's why you need the right man at the altar. That's why you need the right man at the gate. So that it is a man that understands altar practices. If not, he is going to scatter the entire nation and sell them over to Satan. Now, um, so, so that's why you need to, I was saying something. There are some people you meet or some people that enter your life. You need God to lead you. And when God is leading you to have a covenant with somebody, please don't let any foolishness make you break it. Very important. Because you will never know where it is meant to speak for you. Was Jonathan perfect? David could have said, I made a covenant with Jonathan, yet he did not leave his father to be with me. Yet when I was in the caves, he did not come and help me. Yet in my latter days, he forsook me. Do you understand? But David didn't look at it like that. A covenant is a covenant. Even for um, Jonathan, to his dying days, Jonathan loved David. And as much as was in his power, he could have protected David, even though he was not physically with David. Because covenant is covenant. So even after Jonathan died, David was still obligated to keep what he agreed with Jonathan. And because Jonathan made the right choice of who to partner with, his son was preserved. Make the right choice of partners today.
partner with the right people, partner with the right places, partner with the right systems. Don't be arrogant or love arrogance. And then you cannot see the ones that carry the true power. So it says, but well, he kept uh, Mephibosheth alive. And the Gibeonites, they hung the sons of Saul at the mountain of the Lord. The seven of them died together. They were put to death in the first days of the gathering when the barley was ready to gather. Until they did that, the drought was not taken away. Think about it. Huh. You know, there are some families where a particular month of the year, they die. They die. If you are one of those people, you've seen the cycle in your home. Please don't fast for seven days. Make your own 30 days. And be diligent in prayer. Don't all this enjoyment that is making it hard for you to fast. Don't let it be short-lived. Fast it now. Pray it now. Cry it now. While there is yet opportunity to amend and adjust. Look at how sons died. On the error of their father and grandfather. Sons just died. If you have noticed a pattern, deal with it. No matter how your body is doing, you jish, jish, jish. You are uh, four girls, three now, their marriages have scattered. You are looking. You are saying, oh, well, I don't know, my sisters, they just don't know how to keep their marriage. At, at least my own is sweet. Auntie, the one that uh, escaped the sword of, uh, what do you call them? Will not escape. It's coming. So now that it looks like you don't have any issues, begin to pray. Ask the Lord to show you what is at play and how you can escape it. Okay, number three is priests, but we're going to stop here. The third thing that make an effective gate system is priests, but we're going to stop here. Tomorrow morning, I will continue on why your priesthood is important for your gates to be manned. I'll talk about the connection between the priest and the gates. I'll talk about the connection between the sacrifice and the gates. Then we'll talk about the connection between covenants and the gates. And we'll talk about the connection between food and gates, the connection between tokens and gates, names and gates, and lastly, dreams and gates. We'll do all of that tomorrow morning. But today, Lord God, we are praying there is, a, there is a weight that I feel in my spirit. And I feel like the weight is, is, is the weight of the Holy Spirit. And I feel like it's the burden of the Spirit over the lives of some people here. And I feel that there are some people here that the things I've said, you've heard me. You've heard. You heard me because you know what I'm talking about. And you've seen it at play, at play in your house. For some people, it's an altar of drunkenness. They are drunks. Every man in that house turns out to become an addict or an, alcohol, an alcoholic or an addict of some sort. For some people, it is, um, like I said, broken marriages, barrenness. There's no productivity. The sons never make it in life. If they like, they should go to school, go to school. 
They never become anything great. There are all kinds of things, but I feel the burden of the Holy Spirit. And I sense the Holy Spirit tonight severing people from things that they didn't even know anything about. For somebody, I see it's, it's an abortion that you committed when you were in your university. And that spirit of barrenness, it opened the door to a barren spirit. It opened the door to a, an abortion spirit. So that every time you are just about, it is aborted. The contract is about to hit, it is aborted. The man is about to marry you, it is aborted. I see a serpentine spirit that entered your life through the gate of that abortion. And I hear the spirit of God saying tonight, the head of the serpent is cut off. The head of the serpent is cut off. The sting of the adder is removed. And I see the spirit of God putting his hand in that womb and pulling out that serpent that coiled itself around your womb. I see it coiled around your ovaries and coiled around your internal systems. I hear the spirit of God saying, tonight you are being delivered. Now I send fire against that snake. I send fire against that serpent. I send fire against that serpent. In the name of Jesus, I just saw somebody's your heart and I saw the serpent crawled around your heart. And the Lord says, the person gave their heart to unforgiveness and you are struggling to forgive somebody. And uh, for one of you, I, I think it's your father. For another, it's your mother. But the Lord says that you open the gates to unforgiveness and that gate of unforgiveness has led to a decay in your heart. There's somebody here, it's actually a physical heart problem you are having. For some, it is emotional and psychological. You started taking pills for depression. But the Spirit of God says, there is something that has tied itself around your heart. Tonight, I want you to repent and just tell the Lord, I let go of every unforgiveness. I let go of it. In the name of Jesus, I break out of it in the name of Jesus. I declare that my heart frees everyone that I am holding. I do not hold anybody ransom. I do not expect anybody to pay back for anything they've done for me. As a matter of fact, I don't even need an apology. Lord, if you could forgive me, then I forgive everyone. If you could have mercy on me, then I have mercy on those that have hurt me. Today, I repent of taking a heart posture that is not your heart's posture. Have mercy on me in Jesus' name. Yes. If you've made that prayer, I pray for you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I rebuke that serpent and that serpentine spirit crowd, coiled around your heart. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I release the fire of the Holy Spirit over your heart. I release the fire of the Holy Spirit. Begin to burn, 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 burn in the name of Jesus. I command it to lose its hold from around you. I decree and I declare concerning you that you are free. I say you are free from the sting of the other. You are free from that thing that is crippling your heart. I rebuke high blood pressure. I rebuke all kinds of sicknesses of the heart. I declare that right now healing and restoration 
is coming to all the chambers of your heart, your physical heart and your spiritual heart in Jesus' name. I see somebody's eyes just opened. Someone's eyes just opened right now. As you were praying, um, you had been asking God for the spirit of revelation spirit of knowledge and you've not been able to break into it but as we're praying these prayers after you let go someone's eyes just popped open and God just gave you access into the realm of the spirit something is going to begin to happen to your prayer life something is going to begin to happen to your study life you are about to break into the next level of revelation in the name of Jesus I see somebody, you, you, you had a word from God that you were going to be um, a governor over a territory. I, I don't know if it's Nigeria or Kenya or some region, but you, you have actually ran. I think you've run like twice or three times and you, you keep losing. But I hear the spirit of God say, it is time for the name of your house to be established. And God says, I am going to give you the office, but can I make a covenant with you? Will you agree with me that you are going to raise an altar unto me if I place authority in your hand? Will you agree with me that you are going to raise an altar in that land and chase out all the altars? Because apparently the territory and the region is a place that is plagued by witchcraft and witches and all kinds of demonic works. The Lord says that if you will agree with me that you will chase out all of these things from this territory, then I will give you authority. I will make your forehead strong and no one will be able to uproot you from that office, says the Spirit of God. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I release grace. I release capacity. I release ability. I release um, power, Lord, for your son, for your daughter, to be able to enter into this promise in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I pray for people who have... Um, all kinds of blood conditions, even sickle cell conditions in their bloodline. I ask that right now, Lord, let there be restoration that goes on in the bloodline. Every um, brokenness in the blood, in the cells, in the, in the internal vessels and internal structures of the body that is transferred from one generation to another. I said it is, I'm not going to get to your seed. And for those who it has gotten to right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus, we command a cleansing to happen. And you are removed from the penalty of that in your lifetime. So that which should have been handed down to you by bloodline is not yours anymore in Jesus' name. High blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. We say that it has no place in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, I decree and I declare that you are free. You are free from diseases in the bloodline. You are free from diseases in the bloodline. You are free from diseases in the bloodline in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody glorify God. Glorify the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I sense that when we get off this call, there are some people that still need to make it right with the Holy Ghost. Um, I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's a, there's a burden of the Holy Spirit. And he needs people to make it right with him. We, are, I feel like in this seven-day journey, tonight is a major door. It's a major door in the spirit realm. And it's a door you need to enter with repentance and with sobriety. So once we log on, please don't go into other things immediately. Just take five minutes, two minutes, ten minutes to pray. 
and ask the Lord to show you what he needs you to set right before him. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for grace and for strength. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. God bless you. I know that um, it has been a night of God's power and I expect miracles and I expect testimonies. Please stand as a priest over your home. Stand as a priest over your home. There is really something God is speaking strongly about families through this fast. God wants to restore homes. Please don't back down now. Don't back down on your children. Don't back down on your spouses. Don't back down. Don't back down. Don't back down. Don't back down. Stand as a gatekeeper. Perform your role of security. Perform your duty of maintaining order. Stand. And our God will help you because you have strength on the inside of you and you have power in your words. As we are raising this altar before God, watch your dreams at night. Watch your dreams, wake up and record them and pray over them because God is showing you things to come. God bless you. God bless you. I love you and I'll see you in the morning. I have to go. I have a meeting with the America people in an hour, in two hours. I'll pass so easy. Yes, please. I don't mean to interrupt you, but are we going to do the communion? Oh, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for interrupting. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And it is such a good day to have communion. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Deidre. Come on, raise the communion. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We're talking about bloodlines and we're talking about breaking out of ancient covenants. Oh, Jesus, we do this, oh God, as a sign of our faith, declaring that we believe in you. Declaring, Jesus, that we believe in you. Declaring, Jesus, that you are the ultimate power to break us out, break us out, break us out of any kind of satanic stronghold, anything that has repeated itself in our lives. Anything that has been a trade in the lives of your people. Anything that has humiliated these people. Anything that has brought shame and disgrace on these people, God. As we take this communion today, we call an end to it by the blood of Jesus. By his stripes we are healed. His body is an evidence of our restoration. His blood is a seal of the covenant of life and health with all in us. Jesus, we don't take this bread and this wine lightly. We take it because we believe. We take it because we know who you are. We take it because we know that the bread and the wine are gates in the spirit realm. We enter the gate of communion tonight. We enter the door of communion tonight. And we say enough of every other blood that is speaking. 
enough of every other sacrifice that was given. We have the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus. Oh, I said, no more disgrace in your life, no more shame in your life, no more fear in the name of Jesus. As you take this communion, every satanic harassment ends today. Every satanic harassment ends today. Every judgment of hell ends today. Every pronouncement from the pit of hell ends today. The hexes and the spells and the incantations of witches and warlocks, they cease today. The arrows shot against you, they are damaged today. By faith, we take the body and we take the blood of Jesus. We receive our master, we receive our Lord. We know in whom we have believed. He is the ancient of days. Ah, he is not just a covenant for now. He's a covenant for thousands of years before. We call the blood and we call the body to enter our bloodline from years before we were born. To begin to make right every single thing that was out of order. We call for a reconfiguration of our beings, our souls, our spirits, our bodies. We declare that in the name of Jesus, we are broken from any kind of hold. We are broken from any kind of satanic manipulation. We are broken by the blood of Jesus. The voice of accusation, the voice of accusers, the voice of liars, the voice of people that want to malign us, their voices break and cease in Jesus' name. At this table of communion. Hey, Karuna Sadevakai. At this table of communion, Ah, let the new day be born. Ah, let miracles happen. Ah, deliverance. 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 Let fire fall at this table of communion. Every kind of demonic possession. It's in the name of Jesus. Every Judas in our houses. Out in the name of Jesus. Every Judas in our businesses and ministries. Out in the name of Jesus. Let this communion reveal. Let it empower. And let it strengthen us for the days to come. Let it seal as a covenant. Halfway that we have gone in this journey today. Let it seal up everything we have done. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Holy Ghost, for this opportunity to participate in this holy spiritual feast that is going on in heaven. For we know that this is not a physical feast, it's a spiritual feast. And we join Jesus in heaven to eat the bread, to drink the cup. In honor of the name of our master, we take the bread. In honor of his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the fact that we have overcome, we take the bread and we eat it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cup. We drink the wine, knowing that there is a blood that speaks on our behalf and the blood does not lie. We take it into our system and we declare that it speaks from inside our bodies to our souls, our spirits, our environment. Everywhere we go, 
The blood on our altar is the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. We give you praise for the mighty things that have happened today. And we thank you because they are complete. And we thank you for the angels that bear record and your spirit that has led us and your spirit that bears record. Let these testimonies be one that will be remembered in heaven because we believe. So we speak and we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Such an honor. What an honor to be ordained and anointed, to be your man and your scepter. Dance to the rhythm of your heart. Father, oh, what love you have lavished. On me a mortal to be called yours, to bear your image divine. What an honor to be ordained and anointed, to be your man and your shelter, the scepter, dance to the rhythm of your heart. It, the song is by Pastor Chintok. Look for that song. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Father, what, what an honor um, to be ordained and anointed, to be your man and your scepter. It says, oh, what love you have lavished on me, a mortal, to be called yours, to bear your image divine. Such an honor that we can eat and drink of Christ. Such an honor. Such an honor. God bless you. Have a good, good evening. And for those of you in America, I will see you in approximately two and a half hours. I love you. Have a good night. And I'll see you all in the morning. Set your alarms. Wake up. It's Monday morning, 5 a.m. prompt. We are here and we are riding till the end. Good night. Amen. Goodbye. Thank you, B.I. Thank you, Good night. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Apostle AC. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor AC. Thank you for saying good night, everyone.